This podcast is brought to you by Future Women. Become a member to gain full access to our exclusive content and packed calendar of online events. Every week we bring you amazing guests, expert advice, and you get to ask the questions. You can also upskill with our online learning program to build resilience and better define your personal brand. It's never been more important to connect, learn, and lead. Join the movement today by going to futurewomen.com. There's an option to suit every budget. Hello, I'm Brooke Boney, your host for season three of Next Generation Innovators, a podcast where we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. So whether you're in business, you own one, or you dream of doing it yourself, these conversations will guide you through the ups and downs of startups, from ideation and development to investment and scale. Elise Tran is an entrepreneur who needs no introduction. As co-founder and creative director of The Daily Edited, she's responsible for transforming a small side hustle into an international brand in record time. Interestingly, a lot of people wanted to see the product in real life. So we did a pop-up back in 2015. It was our first ever physical build-out of what The Daily Edited was, and I spent like $80,000 doing it. It made the brand look bigger than what it was. It was still in my dining room at the time. The Daily Edited is known for its personalised lifestyle accessories, customisable line and beautiful flagship stores around Australia and in New York City. Along with co-founder Tanya Liu, Elise has enjoyed a rapid rise to the top as their business has become one of Australia's most well-known and sought-after luxury brands. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by The Outnet, the ultimate fashion destination where you'll find over 350 designer brands at up to 70% off. The Outnet is the place to go when you're looking to build your wardrobe with designer pieces at exceptional prices. So whether you're dreaming of Zimmerman dresses, a Stella McCartney suit, or coveting everything from Valentino, it's all there. And right now, The Outnet are offering our listeners 20% off their next clothing purchase. Just enter the code FUTUREWOMEN20 at the shopping bag. Terms and conditions apply. Visit theoutnet.com forward slash futurewomen for more details. Thank you so much for joining us, Elise. You spent your early years on a fruit farm in the Adelaide Hills town of Gumaracha. Gumaraca. Gumaraca. There yeah. you go. Population of 731. And then your parents go on to run a news agency. So where did your interest in fashion come from? Um, I, th- I think... So, okay, being growing up in an Asian family, um, you know, we weren't that sporty and stuff. And one of the things that I did with, and my sister and I did with my mum a lot was shop. So I've always been interested in retail. Um, so like on Sundays, I think other families would maybe go and do um, outdoor pursuits such as hiking or sports or whatever. And we would go to the mall. It's why, it's why Asian malls are full of Asians. <laughs> right? um, and, you know, that's, I think, where I started developing the – you know, like, it sounds really bad, but lust for material goods and things. Yeah. And then as a result, being a girl, like, fashion. And my sister has always been really into fashion and presenting herself in a certain way. And I think the two of us kind of created this um, life for ourselves that kind of, you know, involved loving the latest in trends across a range of different things. And one of them was fashion. So uh, when did you then decide to go and study law? 
So at school, I did really well in the humanities standard. I went to an all-girls school and I did really well in English and art and stuff. And so as a result, you know, the choices for career were either, you know, doctor or lawyer. This is Adelaide, right? So um, it's quite um, small town thinking. You don't think about, like people's parents have quite conventional jobs and I didn't know what existed really besides those things, um, like a professional job. And so I just thought, well, I can't, I can't be a doctor because I'm no good at science, so I'll go and do law. And so that's how that decision was really formed. And this is a gentle reminder to you, if you are listening to this or if you have a sibling or a friend or someone who's listening or you want to forward it on, you know, you don't have to just be what you can see. Anything I know. Well, that you can dream. It's exactly right. But when you're it. 16 mm. and you're in a small town, yeah. you don't see. How do you know what's out there? Well, you can only exactly your role models are really people hard. that you you know that you can yes. recognize who are like you and then mm. who go on to do um, like certain jobs. So in 2011, you went over to Western Australia to do some legal work on mining deals, and that's really where um, you started working on the early iterations of the Daily Edited. And so, where did the early inspiration come from? So, what were their early, yeah, early so versions of it like? Basically, um, I had. S- So I'd finished my law degree and I wanted to be a big time lawyer. I decided that while I was in Adelaide and I knew that in Adelaide that wasn't particularly possible because not a lot of the the biggest sort of commerce occurs there. So I knew I had to get a job at a national law firm. And so I didn't, the first job that I got at a national firm was in Perth. And so I went to this big law firm and their office in Perth and worked and I met Tanya, um, my co-founder, and I really loved her when I first, she was a couple of years ahead of me. She dressed really well, like she would wear Proenza schooler to work and I'm like, how is that even possible? I love like, this person. And stuff. I'm like, wow, yeah. like she's so cool. Um, and we just became friends. Like, uh, because I was from Adelaide, I didn't know much about Perth. Like we went shopping and stuff together and I really, you know, enjoyed spending my time with her. Then I actually moved back to, not back to Sydney, but to Sydney where I knew I was going to be longer term. And my little sister um, had just started uni in Sydney, so we wanted to be together. Um, and didn't think much of anything. And then Tanya called me one day and said, do you want to start a fashion brand? And I was like, that's crazy. You know, I'm working as a lawyer. I'm like, why would you, how, like what? And I was like, well, maybe we can start a blog first and build an audience and then kind of see where that goes. And so... Um, she came over to Sydney and we came up with some names for things and um, came up with the Daily Edited and it was a daily edit, like it was a blog. It was built as like a beautiful website more than an e-commerce sort of platform um, and it was an edit of things that we liked in food, fashion, health, um, entertainment and stuff and we were just like posting pictures articles and I was just putting stuff on Instagram and Facebook Um, and then we launched a small fashion line on the back of that like a year into it and it was um, the concept was a capsule collection of clothing that was released monthly that you could then um, mix and match to create your work wardrobe because one of the pains that we had as young lawyers was getting dressed every day I mean like working as a lawyer is quite a an awful job (laughs) to say the least. And I think like me getting dressed every day was kind of like the most exciting part. And then actually being able to afford, you know, the wardrobe 
and present the way that I thought I needed to present like suits mm. um, yeah. was actually quite hard. So then it was a cool concept. Thank you, Meghan Markle, for all of your inspiration. Yeah. It was a cool concept, but it never really gained a lot of commercial traction. Like we got um, a bit of editorial and stuff, which is really exciting because we were lawyers and, you know, you'd open up like, um, you know, Stella or a weekend lift down, your address would be in there and pretty exciting. Yeah, totally. Um, And I think like now with potentially more funding, that concept could have... Blown up, blown well, I was going to say, more. it's sort of maybe you're a bit ahead of your time because well, those capsule collections are huge now. Yeah. Wardrobe NYC. Yeah, I know. Those guys are I know. It. Well, yeah, I know. They're killing it. Um, and I think, though, the apparel space is very competitive. I mean, then you – this was sort of around the time that the majors sort of started coming into Australia, like Zara and stuff, and they have really good options for work at very competitive price points. Yeah, true. So I think it's, um, you know, became a bit more – you know, it's such a competitive space. So. Well, a lot more competitive than Wardrobe NYC, that's for sure. I <laughs> yeah. have to take out a mortgage on my house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love that stuff. Those I, just, you know, I was actually talking to Caroline about how amazing Christine is and I was like, you need to be more like Christine. <laughs> but I said, <laughs> we all need to be more like Christine. <laughs> now, speaking of Caroline, that's your sister. Yes. Who um, I know as yes. well. Through family Caroline friend. Tran, um, fashion editor at Harper's Bazaar. Hello, Caro, if you're oh, listening. We just love her. Big love to you, yeah. sweetheart. We just love her. Love her. Now, <laughs> <laughs> talk me through the Daily Edited's first set of accessories. Yes. So, so that was 2014. Yeah. To fast forward, we'd been running, we ran this clothing line for like two years and then it was sort of like tapered off. And So talk me through the, the, the progressions, yeah. development step by step. So basically, um, we decided to wind down the clothing line, aka not make any more clothes. Um, and then I kept on, I kept the daily edited up as like a, um, went back to sort of blog, had a, we tried to sell some stationery cause I love stationery. Um, you know, tried a few different things and this is mm-hmm. all hobby related stuff, right? This is not, you're still working as a lawyer. Yeah. Um, and then I was about to be promoted in, uh, into a like as a senior lawyer um and I thought I thought as a senior lawyer you need to have like all this nice stuff to take to meetings again this all ties back to me wanting all this stuff right um like a compendium um you know something cool to put your business cards in and I felt like I needed to present really well um and then I went out into market and like found something at a very high-end luxury brand that I couldn't afford even though I was like oh I could should definitely be able to afford this. I'm on like a six-figure salary now. Like, go me, right? No, you know, rich. no, I couldn't actually afford it. <laughs> um, and then, then, and then, uh, there was that as an option. And then there was like office works <laughs> um, mm. as another option. There wasn't sort of really anything in between. And so I said to Tanya, "Wouldn't it be cool if we tried some accessories?" And she, um, you know, sourced, um, you know, work. She based she basically found a supplier that would make us a small run of except, um, of a pouch, a compendium and a card holder. They were our first three products. Very simple. There was sort of like not a very not very many design elements and stuff to them. Um, and in three colours that are still in our collection today. Um, those things still exist in our collection as well. Wow. Um, and we basically bought like I think 50 units of each stuff of each colorway in each style. So it wasn't a lot of inventory. And then I put them up on Instagram and and then away it went basically. The monogramming, sorry. So I love, I've always loved monogramming. My uncle 
bought me a Louis Vuitton bag for my 16th birthday with my initials on it. I always really liked it. Um, and so I knew I wanted to monogram these accessories. So I just got a machine off of the internet and watched a YouTube video and worked out how to do it. And it was pretty shoddy. Like what I was doing is nowhere near to the standard um, with what we do today, obviously, <laughs> but people still liked it. And I think, you know, that monogramming on something that was like a hundred dollars just blew up on Instagram. And then the orders literally just started coming in like it was mental. So this is amazing. So you, yeah. you, you've ordered this stuff, just a few hundred pieces mm. individually. So how did you find- Shout out to the law firm that I was working at. I actually kept it in their archive room because I was living in a studio apartment in Elizabeth so Bay. Time. No, so I didn't have space. <laughs> so the delivery was made to the office and I just hid it in the archive room like, and oh, took home a stationary. few pieces <laughs> every night to monogram and wrap up and send out to customers the next day. So this is one of those classic stories <laughs> where you were literally at your kitchen table monogramming yeah. stuff, packaging it up and yep. sending it out to customers. Yep, I used to, to like handwrite. Um, so you know how we have greeting cards that come complimentary with all the products? The genesis of that is I used to do calligraphy. If you bought something, I would say edited for, and there was a space and I would do calligraphy, Brooke, and I'd wait for it to dry. I'd wrap the um, item up in tissue paper because we weren't dust bags and boxes yet. Mm-hmm. And then wrapped it up in tissue paper with your card and into an express post satchel and that's how I used to dispatch everything. And so because yeah. I was going to ask you how did you fund it and well because it was self savings but I guess because it was such a small run at first and then it yeah. took off. Well so basically the orders funded people it. really overthink things but if you can sell your product and you're not holding your inventory in theory you have the cash flow to buy your next tranche of product and you are obviously marking it up so you've got more money to buy the next, to buy into more things, right? So a good business is as simple as that. I don't think that people went and got funding for every single idea 20 years ago. I mean, if you talk to anyone, you know, our parents or whatever, Mm. the idea that you come up with something and you have to go and find $2 million for it is quite unusual. Mm. Like most businesses started in the fashion space or in, in consumer goods the way that TDE has. Yeah. yeah. It's funny when you say it like that because I think that the, a lot of the advice that would be around for people now is like, you know, where do you source your funding? How do you go through funding rounds? Where do you get this money Sure. I think from? it makes sense if you're building a tech platform or something that's not mm. going to have customers on day one and there's like a ramp up period and stuff and you need like five people to build it and, you know, it's essentially Uber or something. Yeah. Cool. You definitely need to probably definitely go get probably funding get for, that. for that. But if you were launching an earring line or like, you know, jewellery, pyjamas, you know, whatever else people are kind of doing, I, I find it quite confusing. And <laughs> so how, yeah. how did you build up your customer base? Because that's really... this was because we had the blog and we had the social channels. And so as soon as we were putting stuff up, it just sort of self-perpetuated. Wow. Yeah. And so the orders start rolling in. Yeah. How did you keep up with it all? Because I at nearly this stage, died in 2014. Yeah, 15. you poor little thing. It was a really difficult time in my life. Um, but you know what? Hardship, whatever. It's a very much first world problem. I don't even say it was hardship because we're so lucky that that happened, right? Mm. So basically, I would work as a lawyer 9 till probably 7 p.m. Once people had kind of left the office, I would start doing stuff for the daily edited. I'd stay back and do things um, and then go home, pack the orders, probably be up till like midnight and then um, take a big box or big, it was like a big Ikea, you know, the big Ikea blue bags oh, yeah. of orders back to the office. And at lunchtime, I'd run down to the um, GPO in one place and lodge all the parcels and get them out. So I'd just do that every night and on the weekends. Wow. 
Yeah. Were you surprised by the level of instant success? I wasn't. I was too in it to realise anything. Everyone's always like, how did you know? How did you know? And I was like, I was just fulfilling orders. Did you know even when, because nothing was automated when we first launched. It was a very simple e-commerce store and I was using express post satchels and it's very different to what we have now. Um, you know how you have the express post satchel and um, you take off the little tracking number? The sticker, yeah. Yeah, so I would just stick them down and write the customer's name next to them and then tan- I'd take a photo of it and send it to Tanya and Tanya would write what seemed to be like an automated email out to them. So, dear Brooke, your order has been dispatched. Your tracking number is whatever. And I love Team TDE. That's how that started. It was wow. very manual. That's incredible yeah. to think of, isn't it? And so I love that story because you are just too far into it. You're just sort of functioning. Yeah, you're just doing time. it because you're, you're like, orders are it. coming in. And it, um, then, you know, at within a year, our accountant was like, what happened? Because he had, he'd help us register the business and, you know, do some, you know, he did accounting for the first phase of that business in terms of like the clothing. He's actually still with the business now, like the clothing. And he saw that that wasn't really working. And then he's like, what is happening? Like, what are you selling now? Um, and Because you know, it's working. Yeah. He's like, there's like, you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. <laughs> like, what is happening? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I get, I guess you, you, and I think I was so tired. I asked Tanya, I said, Tanya, we need to quit our jobs. I can't do this anymore. And she's quite um, risk averse. You know, Tanya's probably the best co-founder someone could have because she's very, um, I'm like, spend the money. I don't care. Um, whereas she is like very um, conservative with that. So it's a nice balance. And so she made us save up, I think, nearly a million dollars before we quit our jobs because it then gave us like a basically like a at least a year no more than a year runway in case it didn't work in case something fell through yeah and so did anyone at work suspect anything were they like not really why do you furiously run to the post office i think they thought it was really cute Mm. you know like it was nice that i had something to do because i was quite commercial it made me it made me way more commercial as a lawyer Mm. so like when people would ask for legal advice i'd have a nice overlay of commerciality that Actually, even some of the partners didn't have and they were quite, I think, sometimes kind of shocked by that. Um, And I don't – no one realised how big it had gotten. Why would you? Yeah. Um, And then when I left my job, it took ages for me to leave because I had to, like, transition out and I was doing, like, part-time for a bit, you know, to try – you know, I felt like I'd owed this law firm so much Mm. because they'd kind of supported me. Yeah, you know, with doing this, so, so yeah, I, I that now, I mean, it's it's quite funny. I yeah, mean, I mean, shocking. it's it's funny to look back on yeah. now, but at, at the time, I mean, you're managing this huge huge number of orders, and you know, frankly, I had like two staff members. Money, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just running through the business at the time with no experience. Essentially, how did you do it? I just did it. There's no how. I just went through like. If there was a to-do list, I just did the stuff. There was I didn't really think about things deeply. I still don't think about things that deeply now. You just do it. Do I don't you, really. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you think, because, you know, obviously there's a tendency to overthink these things. Do you think that your inexperience at that time was an asset? I just think you, if you're smart and practical, you really can't mess things up that much, right? Yeah. Yeah. That still manages to happen. So give yourself a bloody pat on the uh, back, darling. No. But yeah. you know, obviously Tanya and I aren't silly. 
You know, yeah. we're both very intelligent people. You're so. smart women. You know what's yeah. up. Well, you know, it's just logic, logical. Um, yeah, everyone always asks, like, when they talk about this sort of thing is, is like, did you guys have a mentor? It's like, no, like, we were, like, too busy to talk to anyone. We don't network. It's crazy. <laughs> you don't do that now. I really love how, um, like, how frank and how no-nonsense you are about <laughs> yeah. it because there's a whole spectrum of people, you know. On yeah, this. like this whole future women thing, right? I've yeah. not attended a single event. Oh, you have to no, come. That's really so bad. good. You would love it, actually. I know, but, like, also I don't have time to hobnob and I don't like to talk to, about myself a lot. Yeah. But you know what? It's this is fine because, like, story. you know, we, we know we've arranged already. to yeah. do this and maybe this story may help someone, which is why I'm happy to talk about it. But in a social scenario, I hate talking about mm. this. Yeah. This is what we need, though, more women who, you know, who are telling their stories. Yeah, which is why I'm happy yeah, to do it in good. this forum. We love it. We yeah. love it. Now, let's get back to it. So you start off as an e-commerce brand, but then yeah. you decide to open up your flagship bricks and mortar yeah. offering and yeah. David Jones as well. When so many fashion businesses are going online, why did you want to take yeah. it so back to bricks and mortar? Interestingly, a lot of people wanted to see the product in real life. So we did a pop-up store at Westfield, Sydney um, back in 2014 or 15 or whatever. No, 2015. It was our first ever physical um build out of what the daily edited was and I spent like $80,000 doing it and it was it made the brand look bigger than what it was yeah (laughs) it was still in my dining room at the time (laughs) and to spend 80 grand on a pop-up is like insane (laughs) but it worked um it was this great it was so so um it was so successful there were that Westfield had to put in like barricades to line people up um, you know, to create cues, it was so busy. And then people like David Jones sort of were like sticking their heads going, what is this? What is this brand? Then the David Jones staff started buying stuff. And then, you know, the buyers at David Jones are like, they're buying stuff, not from David Jones. Like, what is this? Um, and then I sent a bu- bunch of product to one of the buyers at David Jones. And then his name is Damien Burke. And he took a chance on the kid and gave us our first concession deal. And then I was so excited to be in David Jones, like such a big big deal deal at the time. Um, And we have a really, you know, fantastic relationship with them and have rolled out, you know, more locations with them over the years and things. So that's how it happened. It happened through the demand of the consumer. People wanted to see the product in real life. Do you know, I just want to tap into that there because I think um, whether or not it was your strategy, it seems like there are a couple of times that were really crucial where you just sort of um, fronted up and you sort of made it uh, back to yourself and made it feel bigger than what it was. And that sort of worked for you guys. It's yeah. sort of like fake it till you make it Pretty with much. the Instagram stuff, but then also with the bricks and mortar stuff, yeah. like these two critical junctures where you just bloody showed up when it counted and it worked. Yes. I, I think, you know, that again, didn't think about it. Just I always want to present the brand in the best possible light for the best price. So that's why our, you know, our stores always look really good. Like I always want to have the best looking concession. I want to always have the best looking stores in market. Like that is how I want to operate. Why would I do something that is not as good as someone else? Yeah. That's weird, right? It is weird. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know why you're not would. weird. Like, why would you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah so. absolutely. So, to this day, 
Is this right that the business carries no debt, no yeah. external financing of any sort? No. So you consciously decided not to take any external funding to no, sort of we, scale up? I yeah, we, we tried to. to. Do you remember that we sold 30% of our um, business to Oraton a few years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, unfortunately, they went into voluntary administration. And the plan with Oraton was, you know, they had options to actually buy more shares in our business. Um, and, unfortunately, that relationship fell apart because there's a you know there was a new owner of Oraton. Mm. So we tried that and it didn't work out. And one wouldn't think to do reverse due diligence on your um investor, <laughs> you know? Um we probably should have. And then and so no, it's not something that we don't want to do. It's just finding the right person to do it with. Mm. Um but we don't really need to do it because we the thing that I think, you know, for me, I think if we took that on, we would have to explode in like the States or something. We'd use that money to like grow the business overseas and that would change my life fundamentally. Like, I'd have to move there and things. Um, and it would change the nature of the work that I do. Like running a business with someone else is a different level of like reporting and um, governance and stuff. And like, do I really want to be doing that? Yeah. Yeah. So you need to think about what your priorities are rather yeah. than, you know, how big you the, can actually Yeah, grow the accolade thing. of, um, you know, having more stores and stuff in America. You know, I think it's Australian culture or like business culture really puts a lot of pressure on people to keep showing that you're doing stuff. And, you know, what's wrong with someone just running a really good business that's solid, that is, you know, just has solid growth and is actually just making money. Everyone's like, when's your next store? When's this? When's that? You know, it's just so much pressure. You don't need exponential growth to prove that, you know, your business is good if you're having a good time yeah, doing something I know, that just, you love. I feel like it's always like that. And I actually, you know, I spoke to like a, a model the other night, um, you know, and she's been in Victoria's Secrets and stuff. She's a r- really solid career. And she says it's really stressful when people are like, what's next? Mm. She's like, well, I'm actually just killing it, booking whatever jobs and making a stack of cash doing whatever it is that I'm doing. Like, why do I have to keep, like, yeah. what am I doing? Yeah. Like, what, what else do I have to achieve? You just need to keep proving yourself. And yeah. Proving yourself and I and think that yourself. it's the favorite question that everyone likes to ask at like a dinner party or at mm. a thing. What's next? Oh God. Yeah. You know? But yeah. I mean, you have you have been doing other stuff. As yeah, well, yeah. No, you? we do things. So you've been doing, but you personally, you've yes. done in the roundhouse. Yes, I love which it. Which is exciting. Um, yeah, I launched a homewares brand. Um, so with the daily edited, obviously, you get a brand to this sort of stage. Yeah, I know I sound like I'm a veteran. It's five years, right? Um, and the brand is about something and presents a certain aesthetic, and we need to kind of keep within that. Otherwise, it's quite confusing for consumers. Like we sell accessories. It's not like I'm not being creative with the daily. I just have to come up with new things like every week. But it's kind of totally different. It's a lot more commercial. Whereas, And so it was really fun to be able to start another business with another friend um, and kind of kind of do it all from the start again and be kind of to have like a different point of view on product and be able to develop a brand story and stuff. So I quite like it. And did you find that the second time that you did it that you learned a lot? It's a lot easier. I felt like I was cheating. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're like, I've already learned all the lessons. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I was cheating. It was really easy. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
And uh, so, you know, now you employ about 120 staff. Is that right? Yeah. It sounds like a lot, but because we have um, a physical retail business Mm -hmm. and um, obviously huge online business. So at a head office level, we actually only have, I was telling someone the other day, we actually only have have 15 people who are not involved in serving a customer, packing an order, unpacking inventory, monogramming something. There's actually a really lean team and people are always really impressed by that. just means that we can be more profitable. We don't have like three marketing managers sitting around. That's me. Um, You know, it it sounds like a lot, but it also isn't. Um, So... Yeah, and so those fifteen people, yeah. um, presumably some of those people have been with you from the very yes. beginning. Yes, is it daunting to have to bring people on and in those early stages? Like, how do you pick the right person? Because one extra person can completely throw out the culture of your baby. Yeah, you know, of this thing that you've worked yeah. so hard to build. Frankly, they could fuck it up for you. Yeah, like, as in, so what is the question there? How do you? How, how do, do you, you? How nerve wracking is it to choose someone? And how do you? How do you make sure that you're making the right decision uh-huh. in that case? So. To get into that group of 15, generally it's people who have started with me right at the start, basically, or someone that uh, we know, um, you know, say through a friend or whatever. So it's quite a tight group. Um, We generally hire through our retail team as well. So if we have a role, we always open it up to our retail team first mm-hmm. so they really you know understand the brand and have been a part of the um, culture of the business it's it we actually haven't made that many big hires um, you know besides some people in finance and dev um, I haven't had to make really risky decisions and stuff with respect mm. to staff as yet yeah so. and so uh, you had you managed people before what not really how did I you find do that it? really hard. Do you find it hard? Yeah. Yep. I think that's I would why find I don't that like challenging. My, I don't, that's one of the aspects as to why I don't really like my role anymore because one of the biggest things that is really difficult is, you know, we talked about how there's this pressure to keep doing things, mm-hmm. to show people that you are doing things. Or that you're doing things for the sake of doing them. Yeah. And you, you, the pressure of growing the business so that everyone develops in their roles, so they go from, say, like, blah, 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 to a manager or a area manager or whatever is too much pressure. Mm. Yeah. Do you know one of the people that we had on the podcast in the last season was this lovely lady called Cyanteed. I know Cyan. Yeah, and yeah. she talked a lot about um, – how she sort of realised early on what she was good at mm. and then she just let everyone else sort of do the other things. Yeah. And that sounds like what you're sort of going through <sighs> yeah. at this stage. Like you love that sort of early creative part where you're growing the business but not so much the It's the, the administration of the business and the and pressure. Yeah. Yeah, the pressure to like, you know, so you've got someone say in your team who is a – global retail manager where on earth do they go next you have to open more stores in order for them to actually get a pay rise and increase their the scope of their role and that pressure is sometimes too much but this the success is incredible but it you know it obviously has its own challenges yeah what have some of the more challenging times been because it sounds like you've had a dream run but i'm sure there's been stuff going on behind Uh, the scenes that have been it's it's pretty dream run there's nothing bad that I guess the difficult thing is you get to this stage and it's the pressure to keep growing on that trajectory. So once you've sort of mined these really, the low-hanging fruit, 
you know, where do you go next? The, the strategy of where to go next is probably the most difficult thing. Growing businesses are really easy. Growing business is just hard work. Mm. You know, getting pushing them past this threshold mm-hmm. is a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like taking it to the next step. Yeah. So while growth is the goal and your business has sort of grown tenfold mm-hmm. <laughs> in the last financial yeah. year, the business structure in your day-to-day must have changed significantly since, you know, those very early days. What is your role in the business now? What do you do day-to-day? So I basically manage like I, I so I have an e-commerce manager and a retail manager right I basically manage their work so I, I want to know exactly what the issues I don't serve individual customers as much anymore I, I do I go in I spend at least a day in store and on customer service a week mm-hmm. across those platforms um, so it's really managing those team members to make sure that the business is running properly because so that is the business. Basically. Um, you know, like going into a store and going, why is this piece of inventory missing? This is a top 20 selling item. Why is it out on the floor? Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, then marketing. So like, you know, everything. I do all of the social media. So I respond to every single DM. That's insane. Yeah. Oh my um, gosh. I do all of that, po- do all the content for that, post that. So, you know, a day is content creation. Mm-hmm. Um you know, drafting EDMs, I draft all the EDMs, um, like implementation of new stuff. So, for example, you know, we rolled out a loyalty program. So, really, like the implementation and the how we do that and what are we offering to customers under this loyalty program and mm-hmm. the terms and conditions around, I will do that. Um, it varies quite a lot. Financial stuff, looking at like spreadsheets and um, things like that. Um, Working with Tanya on inventory orders. So Tanya does a lot of that work, um, which is fantastic because it requires a high level of attention to detail, which I don't have. And then I kind of just overlay that with like where I think the trends are um, and, you know, what I think is we're going to sell through more product design. So like I do all of that as well. Um, So it's like a mixed bag. It's quite relaxed. I don't want to, my my team to hear that. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite manageable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where do you see yourself, say, in the next five years? Do you think that you'll be on to another Yeah, so another idea? how I would like to operate now, because I've seen this and I don't think that this energy that I am giving off to my team is necessarily that positive. It's not like I walk in there and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm under so much pressure. No, I walk in there and I'm a normal person. Mm. I would like to remove myself from that office and set up what I call is the office of Elise Tran, where I provide services back to the daily edited to in the roundhouse and whatever else I create in the future mm-hmm. and sit and work with say like a, my, you know, a graphic designer, a finance person or whatever, like a really small team and just churn out all of this stuff mm-hmm. for these brands that I will have equity in or not. Yeah. That's basically what, where I see myself going. Oh, I think that that is like, that's, it's sort of already happening, isn't it? Yeah, but I just think it's just like that. Yeah, I think that'll happen like next year. Yeah, that's going to be a beautiful office. Can I just, yeah. I can, cannot wait to see pictures <laughs> of this you. dream office. Yeah, that that's basically what I want to do. I don't want to sit with all the inventory anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 you don't want to sit surrounded by boxes and packaging. Yeah. And no, I still do. I, I think this in my head, but then I'm like, how will I, but I know I want to be, you know, I want, I'll find it really difficult to step back from some of this operational stuff. Like I'll go into a store and I'll find all these issues and 
I'm like, well, is that really my job anymore? But if I don't do that, then who is? That's what I, you know, and how do we create the best customer experience? So I don't know. It's really hard for me to actually, you know, I say it, but how do I actually do it? Give it it up. And yeah, yeah, it's like handing over your baby to someone else and being like, okay, can you take as good a care of it as I can? And do you have the same level level of it? You know, like I can walk into a store and tell you what out of in the collection is missing. No one really can do that. Because it's because I've taken that product from cradle to grave, and so I can't expect people to have all of that knowledge. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of weird, but yes, in theory, that's what where I see myself going. Now tell me, as our final yeah. question, was your ambition when you were on a fruit farm <laughs> in the Adelaide Hills to become one of Australia's most successful female? Oh, please don't say that. It's true no, though. No. It's true. Here no. you are. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I'm not on the. I'm not on the young rich list or anything like that. Well, not yet. <laughs> um, I. I don't. No, no, no. I don't know. I was too young then to realise. But I think, I do remember saying to my English teacher, and you know, this is now more Caroline's job that I'd like to be the editor of like Vogue Australia or something. Like I wanted to have like an interesting job. I think in the end, like even when I was a lawyer, the first few years I knew like my dream job as a lawyer would have been to go in-house at like a Louis Vuitton or something as mm. an in-house lawyer and yeah. work, you know, in that sort of space. So, um, yes, when I think about it, I have every girl's dream job. You do? Make bags, put them on Instagram and sell them. Like, but how you've, great is you've, that? you've bloody earned it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> anyway. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me this week with Elise Tran, the co-founder of The Daily Edited. Before you hop online to shop their beautiful range, make sure you leave us a review. And while you're at it, go on and tell some of your friends about us as well. Have a good week. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by The Outnet. The Outnet is where you'll find designer pieces for up to 70% off. Build your wardrobe with staples from Gunny and Sandro, as well as statement pieces from Diane von Furstenberg and Valentino. Right now, The Outnet are offering our listeners 20% off their next clothing purchase. Just enter the code FUTUREWOMEN20 at the shopping bag. Terms and conditions apply. Visit theoutnet.com forward slash futurewomen for more details.